Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. A young woman went to her mother and told her about her life and how things were very difficult for her at the time. She said she did not know how she was going to make it. She was tired of fighting and tired of struggling. And it seemed as one problem was solved, a new one arose right after it. Her mother took her to the kitchen. She filled three pots with water. In the first, she placed carrots. In the second, she placed eggs. And in the last, she placed ground coffee beans. She let them sit there and boil without saying a word. In about 20 minutes, she turned off the burners. She fished the carrots out, placed them in a bowl. She pulled the eggs out, placed them in a bowl. And she ladled the coffee out and placed it in a bowl. Turning to her daughter, she said, Tell me what you see. She replied, Carrots, eggs, and coffee. The mother brought her closer and asked her to feel the carrots. She did noted that the carrots were soft. She then asked her to take an egg and break it. After pulling off the shell, she observed that it was hard-boiled. Finally, she asked her to sip the coffee. The daughter smiled and, and tasted the flavor and smelled its rich aroma. The daughter then asked, What's the point here, Mom? Her mother explained that each of these objects had faced the same adversity, boiling water, but each reacted differently. The carrot went in strong, hard, unrelenting. However, after being subjected to the boiling water, it became softened and weak. The egg had been fragile. Its thin outer layer had protected its liquid interior, but after sitting through the boiling water, its inside became hardened. The ground coffee beans were unique. After they were in the boiling water, they had changed the water. She asked her daughter, Which are you? When adversity knocks on your door, how do you respond? Are you a carrot, an egg, or a coffee bean? Are you the carrot that seems strong but with pain and adversity wilts and becomes soft and without strength? Are you the egg that starts with a malleable heart but changes with the heat and becomes hardened within? Does your shell look the same but on the inside are you bitter with a hard heart? Or are you like the coffee bean? The bean actually changes the hot water, the very circumstance that brought the pain. When the water gets hot, the bean releases its fragrance and flavor. If you're like the bean, when things are at their worst, you get better and change the situation around you. In 1 Thessalonians 1.6, we learn that the Thessalonian believers had received the word in much affliction. Yet these people's faith had held true and they stood firm in the midst of the hot water of their trial of affliction. And this brought much joy to the Apostle Paul. The Thessalonian church didn't allow the persecution to drive them away from the Lord, but instead they took a stand for the Lord and remained faithful to Him. They were very much coffee bean believers in the hot water of their trial. 1 Thessalonians 3, 1-2 read, 
Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. At the end of chapter 2, verse 20, Paul wrote the Thessalonians that ye are our glory and joy. And then he says in chapter 3, verse 1, wherefore, or therefore, In other words, it's because of how Paul felt about the Thessalonians being their glory and joy that he felt that he had to do something to see how they were doing. Therefore, when we could no longer forbear, he writes, or when he could endure it no longer, Paul couldn't stand the separation that he had with the Thessalonian believers. He had a strong care and affection for them. And he couldn't tolerate them being in one place and he being in another and no communication going on between the two. They couldn't, like we do, whip out your iPhone and call one another. They didn't have emailing and texting or Facebook. The mail services didn't have overnight delivery back then either. Paul didn't know how they were doing since he left. And he was anxious and concerned over their spiritual state. And he worried about these new believers who, like a parent would, they toss and turn in the night concerned about their children. It was a critical time in the spiritual lives for these new believers. He knew they were under persecution. He also knew that they were only a few months old in Christ. They were babes in Christ. They were a young church and young in their faith. And though he was having his own trials, which we see in these verses, Paul was much less concerned about himself than he was about the Thessalonians. And he wanted to protect these people and help their faith. So Paul demonstrates his care here, and he unselfishly sends Timothy to them. After Paul had been driven out of Thessalonica by persecution, he then went to Berea. The Jews who didn't believe in Thessalonica traveled then to Berea to continue their attack on Paul's ministry, and the saints there sent Paul away, and he went to Athens from there. Paul says here that he thought it good to be left in Athens alone. It wasn't necessarily good for Paul, but it was good for the Thessalonians, and that's why he willingly did this. His affection for these believers at Thessalonica was so strong that he was willing to sacrifice personal companionship and a helper in his ministry, and he was willing to be alone for their sakes. He was concerned about the state of this church because they remained in the midst of that persecution that had driven Paul out of that city. And because of all of these things, Paul sent Timothy to them. Paul did not send one whose absence would be no inconvenience to him, but one was he sent one who was as dear to him as a brother, who was a servant of God and fellow laborer in the gospel, as he uh, describes him in verse 2. The Thessalonians still needed nurturing in their faith, and Paul tells them here that I sent Timothy for the express purpose of strengthening and encouraging your faith, that they might grow stronger in Christ. The word establish in this verse means to support or strengthen. Paul wanted faith in God to be strong and established, firm, solid, steadfast, and unwavering. 
Timothy's establishing of them and their faith was done through God's Word and the revelation given to the Apostle Paul. Romans 16.25 reads, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. They were established in their faith and knowing what God is doing today under grace and knowing about Christ and His heavenly ministry. And this gives each of us a strong foundation for our faith. If we don't know much about Christ and we don't know much about the Word of God, we can get knocked all over the place when someone someone attacks our faith. And our faith can waver when we face trials. To take a stand in times of affliction, we need that foundation of truth upon which to base our faith. And Paul wanted Timothy to establish them in the faith. And then he also says to comfort you concerning your faith. He wanted them to come alongside them to comfort them, to cheer and encourage them. They needed encouragement to not buckle under the pressure of opposition and to continue to trust the Lord and to stand for Him. And that's what our ministry is all about here at Brian Bible Society. Our desire is to establish you in the truth of God's Word and to encourage you concerning your faith, all for the purpose that you might stand and live for the Lord and be transformed by grace. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Thessalonians is a hardcover, 182-page commentary written by Pastor Cornelius R. Stamm and covers both 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. In this work, Pastor Stamm shows how consistently, clearly, and emphatically these letters teach the rapture of the members of Christ's body to be with Him before the prophesied tribulation begins. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.com BereanBibleSociety.org To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.BereanBibleSociety.org Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, Back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. Verses 3 to 5 read, That no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you in our labor be in vain. Some years back, Christian apologist Ron Carlson was visiting the Cambodian border in Thailand where there were several hundred thousand Buddhist refugees from Cambodia and Laos. In those camps, he said, you will find no Buddhists 
taking care of the refugees. There are no Hindus, no Muslims, no communists providing care. The ones who were taking care of the refugees were Christians from Christian missions and relief organizations who understand the value of human life. Ron met a man there who had been a pastor in Laos. Seven, seven years before, the communists had closed down the radio station in the capital of Laos at which he worked because it was playing Christian music. They told him if he stopped playing Christian music, stopped preaching about Jesus Christ, and followed the communist line, he could continue at the station. But he refused. So they took him and his wife and son to a wall. They put a gun to the head of his son, and they told the family, All you have to do is renounce Jesus Christ, and we will let you live. Before the father could say anything, his 12-year-old son stood up with a gun pointing to his head and said, I will never renounce Jesus Christ. And the communist shot and killed him right in front of his parents. Then they went to his wife and put a gun to her head. They said, If you will renounce Jesus Christ, we will let you live. And she replied with conviction, never, and they shot and killed his wife. Because he was an able-bodied man, they put him in stocks and leg irons and took him to a communist labor camp where he worked for the next seven years. Miraculously, he was able to escape the labor camp, cross the Cambodian border into Thailand a few months before Ron Carlson met him, and he had already started a church in the refugee camp to tell the people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are many examples in the church such as, such as this of strong faith by believers in the midst of severe suffering and loss for Christ. An unwavering stand of faith in Christ in the midst of trial, suffering, and persecution is the subject of the Apostle Paul here. And Paul writes that no man should be moved. Moved is an interesting word there in verse 3. It means to wag. It's used of a dog wagging his tail. Paul wanted this church established and encouraged in their faith so that their faith didn't flop back and forth as a result of being shaken and unsettled by their trial. Because afflictions, pressures, and persecutions can do that, to a person's life. But Paul wanted a strong, unmovable faith in their lives, not a tossed around, back and forth, up and down, and all over the place faith. God wants stability for our faith, for it to be steadfast and immovable. Paul's teaching in the reality that we see in this world is that all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 3.12. This persecution takes on many forms. But Paul says, don't have your faith moved. We're appointed to this as believers. It reminds me of the guy who says, I don't mind obstacles as long as they don't get in my way. We need to expect obstacles in the Christian life. And our enemy is going to see to it. Peter put it so well in his first epistle. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, he wrote in chapter 4, verse 12. We need to remember that we are in enemy territory, and there's a war on, a spiritual battle. 
There is hardships in the battle, and we need to stay prepared and stand and firm in the Lord. We're not to uh, allow afflictions for Christ to disturb or move us or our faith, because as Paul says in verse 3, we are appointed thereunto. We are destined for this as believers in this world. There is no health, wealth, prosperity gospel being taught here that if you trust Christ, all your problems will go away, and that if problems do come, you must lack faith. That isn't reality. Believers are going to have trials and troubles living in a fallen, sin-cursed world that rejects God, despises His Word, is against the gospel, hates the Son of God, and thus hates and despises and rejects those who follow Christ and who follow His Word. Paul taught that we must not have our faith in Christ moved in the inevitable trials that will come upon the believer in this dispensation of grace. Paul sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage the Thessalonians so that doubts didn't collapse their faith in the midst of their affliction. Paul had told them out of love in advance from the start that believers will suffer tribulation. Knowing ahead of time, that troubles and pressures is come and helps prepare believers. Just as soldiers forewarned of an enemy attack can better defend themselves knowing that. But if we've refused to believe the warnings and assume that trusting Christ will solve all of our earthly problems and that life will be a trouble-free bed of roses, we're only setting ourselves up. We're setting ourselves up for a startling Pearl Harbor type raid. An attack that will not only shock us, but can devastate our faith in Christ as well. The reason why this book is so pertinent is that God's Word tells us truth ahead of time. Like Paul says here, we told you before, even as it came to pass. It may be, and it's probable, that the church in America is heading for worse and worse persecution. It's good for the church in this country to be forewarned and be prepared for it so that it doesn't shock our faith. So we establish ourselves in our faith to help us in those times. The other thing this portion does is that it keeps us from living with blinders on toward those who in this world at this moment are facing this very thing for their faith in Christ. Affliction suffering, and persecution. And it reminds us to live with our eyes open and to pray for those people. One of Satan's tactics in the spiritual battle to destroy the believer's faith is through persecution, like he did here with the Thessalonians. What prompted Paul to send Timothy was because he couldn't stand it any longer and being concerned about their faith and whether the tempter, as he calls them in verse 5, had tempted them to draw them away from Christ. Paul was protective of these new believers, and this teaches us to be the same way with new believers, to to watch over them and be concerned about them. Paul knew that trials can cause casualties in the spiritual battle, even for the most courageous and the most mature of believers in the church. The tempter, as Paul calls the devil in verse 5, is the same one who tempted the Lord in the wilderness. The same one who tempted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. His desire is to tempt. 
Satan tempts us to question God's goodness in his love. And in the midst of trials, he tempts and he whispers in our ear, I thought God cared about you. Didn't he promise to always be with you? Has he forgotten or left you? How can a good God allow suffering to happen in this world? God must be displeased with you and is punishing you. Is living for Christ really worth it? He tempts us to give up. He tempts us to not stand. He tempts us to run. He tempts us to try to ruin and destroy our faith and walk away from the Lord. In John 6, 66 and 67, after the Lord spoke about being the bread of life, it says, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Satan tempts through the influence of the world, through pride, through the fear of persecution, and persecution itself, to draw us away from the Lord. The Lord, through His Word, asks you and me, Will you also go away? Please say no to that question. Never walk away from the Lord. Resolve to stand firm in your faith in the one who loves you and I so deeply that he died for us and rose again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6-8 to eight read, But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, as we also to see you, Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live, if ye stand fast in the Lord. Paul says, but now, or just now, Timothy has come to us from you. So this letter was written immediately upon Timothy's arrival. Paul had just gotten the word, just heard the report, and he was so excited he wrote this letter right away. Timothy had returned to Paul with a positive report about the Thessalonians' faith and love. Their faith was strong and sure. Their love was evident and active. Verse 6 shows the Thessalonians were standing strong, taking a stand for Christ, and had gone through their trial with their faith intact and with love for others intact. The report from Timothy was to Paul like hearing the gospel, good tidings, is translated gospel in other places in the Bible. So in other words, the report from Timothy about this church's spiritual status was good news, thrilling news, the best news possible to Paul's ears. It's like the gospel of the grace of God is. Unlike watching the nightly news, which is usually filled with wall-to-wall bad, depressing news, Paul received a four-point good news report. Point one good news about their faith. Their faith was steadfast and growing. Point two, good news about their love. They loved the Lord. They loved each other. They loved the lost and were actively demonstrating Christ's unconditional selfless love. Point three, good news that you always think kindly of us. They cherished happy memories of the Apostle Paul, which would have meant a lot to Paul. 
because he had been forced to leave them. Point four, they were longing to see us just as we long to see you, he says. They were as, as anxious for a reunion with Paul as Paul was anxious for a reunion with them. Because of the report of Timothy, Paul himself drew strength from the courage of these new believers. Although he his purpose was to minister to them and to help them by their testimony and taking a stand in hard times, they ministered and helped Paul. And thus Paul says, I can face my trials, my afflictions, and my distresses because I see how well you're facing yours. It's often how it is in ministry. You go somewhere, you go to a hospital visit, and you go to help someone, to minister to others. And then when you're there, their faith and their love and their testimony ends up ministering to you and encouraging your faith. All the troubles and trials and pains Paul was experiencing all of a sudden disappeared. He was comforted and encouraged and felt that he could face anything and run through a wall after he heard how well that these people were facing their affliction, how strong their faith was in it all. And then verse 8, I like how Paul wraps it up here. For now we live if you stand firm in the Lord. Paul's excited here that they were standing fast. Stand fast means to stand upright, immovable, persistent. Their trials had not knocked them down. They were standing upright in faith in the storm of their trial. For now we live literally means now this is living. People point to lavish lifestyles of the rich and famous and say with the things that they possess, the places they travel to, the ease of their life, they think, now that's really living. But to Paul, it wasn't material, temporary things and luxury. It was spirituality, maturity, a strong stand in this world, in the life of believers, in the midst of a world that is against Christ, that made him exclaim, now this is really living. When he heard about them standing their ground for the Lord, he exclaims, that's living. I really live. Seeing you stand. Seeing you stand holding up the shield of faith in the spiritual battle, that's living to the Apostle Paul. Seeing you refuse to back down, hearing of you following Christ and refusing to turn away from Him, that's living. And I find strength in life in that. And that's what it's all about to the Apostle Paul. And to hear testimony of other people's faith and strong stand in the Lord. We Believers too, we find great strength and encouragement and it stimulates our faith and our stand in the Lord also. Living for the Lord, having a firm faith toward God and selfless love toward others, standing strong for Christ in it all so that He is glorified. This is really living. This is the high purpose that each of us are called to as believers. And this is living a transformed life by grace. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. 
For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.